Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Collier's International First Quarter Investor Conference Call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risk and uncertainties. Actual results may, materially, may be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements contemplated in the forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results materially differ from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information form as filed with the Canadian Securities Administrators and in the company's annual report on Form 40F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is May 4, 2021, and at this time for opening remarks and introductions, I would like to turn the call over to Global Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Jay Hennick. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, and thanks for joining us for this first quarter conference call. As the Operator mentioned, I'm Jay Hennick, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and with me today is Christian Mayer, Chief Financial Officer. As you know, we recently announced that John Fredrickson, one of my closest allies, has decided to retire after 23 years of service. For most of those years, John has been right here by my side during these conference calls. Today will be different. I want to take this opportunity to thank John once again for his tireless efforts, his dedication, and his support in helping us build a company and its predecessor company, First Service, into the operations they are today, true market leaders in their respective industries. John played a critical role in helping us create massive shareholder value. He has always been a pillar of strength, the ultimate culture carrier. Thank you, John, for all you have done for us. Now let's get on to business. As always, this conference call is being webcast live and is available in the Investor Relations section of our website. A presentation slide deck is also available to accompany this call. Let me begin today by saying how pleased we are with the first quarter results and the encouraging signs of momentum for the balance of the year. Strength in recurring services, stabilizing transaction revenue, and our highly diversified business model continue to transform Collier's into a more balanced and resilient professional services and investment management company. Although pandemic uncertainty remains, we are increasing our outlook for the balance of the year, as you will hear from Christian in just a few minutes. Today, I'd like to touch on four highlights from the quarter. First, as you know, we recently published our Global Impact Report, highlighting our commitment to embedding environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, strategies across our company. This report can also be downloaded from our website. 
As leaders in our industry, building a better future for our stakeholders has never been more important. In the coming months, we will complete a materiality assessment to better understand our greatest opportunities. Then we will publish a responsible ESG strategy with measurable goals to ensure that ESG continues to be an important part of how we do business in the future. Second, Harrison Street was the proud recipient of four PERI awards this year, including Alternatives, Alternatives Investor of the Year Global and North America, while capping off its largest fundraising quarter in the firm's history. Harrison Street has a long and successful track record of investing in education, healthcare, storage, life sciences, and social infrastructure, specialty areas of focus that benefit from favorable demographic trends and low volatility. Assets under management in our investment management segment now exceed $41 billion, up a full 19% over the prior year. Third, our newest service line, Collier's Design and Engineering, completed its first acquisition, a specialty transfer, a trans, transportation and design firm that adds scale and growth opportunities in the U.S. Southeast. We continue to be very excited about the opportunities in outsourcing and advisory, as well as our investment management segments. Over the past 12 months, 51% of our revenues and 60% of our EBITDA came from recurring services, demonstrating the, the progress we have made in becoming a more resilient company. Our unique partnership philosophy resonates with leadership teams who want to retain significant equity in the businesses they operate while taking advantage of the many benefits a partnership with Colliers can deliver. Finally, during the quarter, Colliers was named one of the top three global commercial real estate brands in the world by the Lipsy Company in its annual survey of industry professionals. And for the 15th consecutive year, we earned our place as one of the top global outsourcing providers from the International Association of Outsourcing Professionals. Both of these accolades demonstrate the growing power and scale of the Collier's brand, as well as our growing global platform. With our proven track record of more than 26 years, a balanced and diversified business model, and an enterprising culture with significant inside ownership, Collier's is in a better position today than at any other time in its history to continue to create value for shareholders. And now let me turn things over to Christian. Christian. Thank you, Jay. As announced earlier today, Collier's reported strong financial results for the first quarter. My comments follow the flow of the slides posted on the investor relations section of Collier's.com to accompany this call. Please note that the non-GAAP measures referenced on this call are as defined in the press release issued today. All references to revenue growth are expressed in local currency. For our first quarter of 2021, revenues were 775 million, up 18% relative to the prior year and included the positive contribution from acquisitions completed in the past year. 
Internal revenues were up 4%, primarily due to the stabilization of transactional activity, especially in capital markets. This marks our first quarter of positive internal growth since pre-pandemic Q4 2019. Consolidated adjusted EBITDA Q1 was $92 million, up 69% from $55 million one year ago, with margins at 11.9% versus 8.6% in the prior year quarter. Our margin benefited from the stabilization of transactional revenues and a continuation of prudent operating cost management considering the ongoing pandemic. Margins were also favorably impacted by acquisitions. In the Americas region, first quarter revenues were $476 million, up 27% over the prior period. Outsourcing and advisory revenues were up 34%, driven by recent acquisitions. Capital markets revenues were up 49%, driven by strong debt origination revenues from a recent acquisition, as well as significant increases in industrial and multifamily sales transaction activity Leasing revenues were up 4%, in part due to a recent acquisition and in part due to stronger industrial leasing activity across the region. Adjusted EBITDA was $57 million, up 82% versus last year, with significant contribution from acquisitions and ongoing measures to manage costs. Our EMEA operations generated first quarter revenues of $126 million, down 3%, from one year ago, with activity returning to near prior year levels in each service line. Adjusted EBITDA for the region was 4.5 million, relative to a loss of 3.6 million last year, with the improvement attributable to cost savings from measures implemented due to the pandemic. Asia Pacific fourth quarter Asia Pacific revenues were 128 million up 19% relative to the prior year period. Capital markets revenues were up 70%, with notable large sale transactions occurring throughout the region, while leasing, including office leasing, was up 20%. Transactions were driven by a rebound in activity relative to the sharply reduced levels experienced during the early stages of the pandemic in the first quarter of 2020. Adjusted EBITDA was $16 million compared to $5 million last year. Investment management revenues were $45 million, reflecting growth of 2%, excluding the impact of pass-through carried interest. The prior year quarter included transaction fees in Europe, which positively impacted prior year results. Assets under management were $42 billion at quarter end, up 19% from one year ago, and reflected the strongest quarter for fundraising in Harrison Street's history. Management fee revenues from the increased AUM will start being realized in the second quarter. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $18 million, similar to the $18 million generated in the prior year period. <clears throat> Turning to cash flow, cash flow before working capital for the first quarter of 2021 was $74 million, almost double the prior year level well exceeding the growth rate of adjusted EBITDA. After considering working capital, cash usage in the seasonally slow first quarter was $38 million, a significant improvement from the usage of $120 million in the comparative period for two major reasons, higher earnings and incremental working capital flows 
from our recently acquired mortgage operations. Capital expenditures for the first quarter were $22 million, a significant increase from the prior year, and reflected investments in facilities in several markets, including certain markets where we deferred relocations and expansions given the events of 2020. For the full year 2021, including the amount deferred from last year, we expect CapEx to be in the range of 65 to 75 million. About one third of this CapEx will be landlord funded leasehold improvements. <clears throat> Spending on acquisitions during the quarter was modest and included only one business acquisition and two contingent payments related to prior acquisitions that exceeded underwriting expectations. We target ongoing investments and acquisitions across our global service lines to complement internal growth. Acquisitions are by their nature opportunistic and we continue to pursue high value add transactions that meet our criteria. Colliers has always maintained a conservative financial profile. Net debt to pro forma adjusted EBITDA was 1.1 times as of March 31st, 2021, a slight increase relative to year end. At quarter end, we had 724 million of unused credit on our 1 billion revolving credit facility available to fund future acquisitions and ongoing operations. Given our strong results for the first quarter, we are updating and increasing our financial outlook for 2021. The updated outlook for both revenue and for adjusted EBITDA is an increase of 15% to 30%, which reflects a 5% increase to both the upper and lower bounds of the previously provided range. This outlook is, of course, subject to risks and uncertainties as outlined in our accompanying slides. That concludes my prepared remarks, and I would now like to turn the call back to the operator for questions. Operator. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question or a comment at this time, please press the star, then the one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to move yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from George Dumas with Scotiabank. Yeah, good morning, guys. Congrats on a, on a really strong quarter. Um, we saw an exceptional 47% growth uh, in the capital market side. I, I understand this might be a difficult question to answer, um, but how much of those volumes might have trickled in from the kind of the seasonally stronger last quarter? And now are you seeing maybe that trend of deferrals and materializing as you continue into Q2? Yeah, George, the, the, there is um, certainly an aspect of capital markets transactions um, that uh, have been developing in our pipelines and certainly some from Q4 would, could have tripled, trickled into uh, Q1. Um, I think, uh, you know, we feel very comfortable and, and, and confident in our um, certain aspects of, of, of capital markets. Industrial uh, is an area where we are strong and we have um, uh, seen uh, strong activity uh, in the fourth quarter and in, in the first quarter. And, and uh, you know, if, if trends continue, that may, uh, may continue into future quarters. George, it happens every year. There's always there's always deals that didn't get closed by December 31st that leak into the following year. It's uh, I don't think uh, and Christian, you can correct me if I'm wrong. There wasn't any unusual uh, amount of that happening this year versus previous years. 
Agreed. Okay, and um, feels like the larger part of the revenue growth for this year is certainly the higher margin transactional business. Um, but it seems like our guidance implies uh, flat margins at the midpoint. So it's kind of just wondering what you guys are thinking. Yeah, certainly, uh, uh, George. Um, you know, on, on a on a on a full year basis, the, the margin uh, we expect to be around 13%. Um, last year, we we had the benefit of uh, very significant uh, cost reductions um, in the business, um, about 145 million uh, of, of variable cost reductions and and, and salary reductions and and. Uh, Bonuses that weren't uh, uh, that weren't uh, paid because of the performance. Um, some of those costs, many of those costs, are going to return uh, in 2021, um, and that's part uh, of our uh, of our thinking as we as we look ahead um, and provide this outlook. Okay, and just one last point, if I may, maybe maybe for Jay, uh, kind of moving over to the leasing. It seems like one of our competitors. Um, said that they expect a 10 to 15 percent reduction in demand for office space um, because of the pandemic. Um, I'm just wondering, do you echo that, and what are your thoughts there? Um, well, I think we generally agree that um, the demand for office will be will fall off. You know, let's call it 10 to 15, because I think that seems to be sort of a common. Uh, the common view. There's a lot of reasons for that. There was an abundance of office in the marketplace through uh, through uh, uh, operations like WeWork and many others. So there's a lot of um, activity or a lot of um, of, um, of, of uh, space that has to be uh, 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 brought back to market. Uh, but fortunately for Colliers, our office, our, our leasing practice is spread amongst office, and I would say we're typically stronger in industrial and in other areas that have actually done very well uh, over the past uh, over the past 12 months. You'll see it for sure in the quarter. Um, office is, is always the largest fee-paying portion of leasing. So obviously, if offices are down, uh, it does impact the overall number. But but we've enjoyed uh, some very strong performance in industrial office uh, and a variety of other um, non-CBD uh, or high-end office in uh, in suburban areas. Great, thanks for your answers. Our next question comes from Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital. Uh, thank you. Good morning, guys. Hey, Steve. Morning. Hi. Morning. Um, I just had a couple of questions about the outlook. Um, you, know, you talked about the margin expectation for the full year and understanding that you have some costs coming back in, in 2021. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, sort of what you what you view uh, the long-term margin outlook to be? I mean, you, you, you finished the year uh, 2020 at a 13% margin. Um, exceeding on the, uh, you know higher on a year-over-year -year basis. Can you talk a little bit about where that can get to over time? Yeah, I mean, over time uh, we would expect to have modest uh, increases in our in our margins. Um, we think that uh, you know brokerage obviously there's operating leverage opportunities uh, there in in uh, in future years given the 
Um, you know, the rebound we expect uh, to, to occur uh, in, in areas like office leasing that was just talked about. Um, so certainly operating le uh, leverage uh, in, um, in our leasing business and in our capital markets business. Um, our investment management operations um, have uh, the opportunity for, for margin uh, enhancement. We, we are investing heavily uh, in people and in growth at the moment, um, and we'll continue to do that, but there is operating uh, leverage uh, in, in, that, uh, in, that, uh, in that service line uh, over time. Great. Okay, thank you. Um, and then I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, you know, outsourcing advisory, investment management, um, you know, recurring revenue base versus the transaction revenues. And, you know, as you went through the pandemic, the, the recurring business was quite stable and certainly uh, did a very good job of offsetting some of the weakness in transaction. Um, do you expect as now you, you get into 2021, will the outsourcing and advisory and investment management businesses sort of return to or begin to take on a growth bias into 2021 and 2022? Yeah, I mean, the uh, first thing is first that the uh, as we return to whatever the new normal is, you should see transaction services move up in terms of activity, whether capital markets or leasing. So I think the tailwinds there uh, are, are very interesting for us. But outsourcing and advisory and investment management are exciting growth areas for us and also uh, and, and, and our growth in those two areas has made a real difference in transforming our business to uh, one that I think is uh, frankly different than some of our peers and, um, and I think that that, that uh, transformation is going to continue so that we have a different balance uh, we already have a different balance. 60% of our EBITDA seems to consistently now come from these areas. Uh, over time, uh, we're hoping that that will continue to grow uh, as we add activity in those other areas. Uh, so, uh, yes, I think we're going to see growth there, both internally, uh, as you could see this quarter, but also through acquisition opportunities. And there's a lot of leverage uh, that we haven't even um, included in our, our future thinking uh, around uh, the ability to uh, sell and cross-sell many of these services to the same client base. So, for example, Harrison Street uh, uh, can, uh, can use Collier's Engineering and Design in all of the infrastructure uh, work that they do for clients, uh, for, for, for Harrison Street investments, um, because Collier's Engineering and Design has an expertise in hospitals and education and some of the other areas that work with Harrison Street clients. All of my comments really didn't take into consideration any assumptions relating to the leverage we can get between those areas. And the same applies in, uh, at Collier's Mortgage. Collier's Mortgage, is, as you know, is focused on multifamily, seniors, uh, student uh, uh, financing. That's the work we, uh, we specialize in with agency lenders. Needless to say, Harrison Street is a leader in that area. We've just scratched the surface of the opportunities to cross-sell uh, that service. And uh, again, it creates another great opportunity for us to, uh, to enhance the overall 
uh, Collier's proposition globally, actually. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. Is that something that you would expect, you know, maybe like a, is, that, is that more of a medium-term opportunity from where you sit today, those cross-line opportunities? I think, I think so, Stephen. You know, I didn't even mention uh, project management, which is another, uh, you know, as we have curated our business, and we've done this for many years, uh, uh, curated a business of market-leading professional service companies that have leverage between them, and project management is just another example. Um, when a construction site, uh, whether it's uh, a hospital or whether it's a seniors or whether it's a, an academic uh, uh, facility, they need somebody to manage the uh, construction project, which may take three years or five years, and it's a great opportunity for our project management people. We're seeing that in Asia in several markets. We're starting to see it in North America. All of those, I would say, are near-term opportunities. Our people are actively working together. We have, we have gone through the laborious task of rebranding in a bunch of areas, as you know. All of that uh, just strengthens the possibility of cross-selling these services. So we're excited about it and think uh, over the next you know, 12 to 18 months, we're going to see more of those synergistic opportunities start to translate into greater revenue streams and higher margins. That's that's great color. Thanks, Jay. Um, and then maybe just one final one um, with respect to it might, might be too soon to think about, but with respect to the dividend, um, you know, you, you, is, is it possible to expect a return to growth on the dividend as you sort of exit the pandemic, or is it maybe too soon to talk about right now? It's an interesting question, uh, Steve. Um, we, we've been talking about just that. Um, and, you know, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but, but um, you know, as a more recurring and resilient company, uh, you know, one might think that a, a small, and any, any dividend, as you know, that we would pay would be a modest dividend. But, you know, yeah. we've had the same dividend for the past five years. And, you know, should we consider uh, increasing that dividend? It's something that I think our board has already begun discussing and something that we'll look at later in the year as we progress. But uh, it is very much on our uh, radar. Okay. That's great. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Christian. Our next question comes from Frederick Bashman with Raymond James. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, first question probably for Christian. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, provide sort of the organic growth that was achieved in the Americas for the quarter. You used to um, break down what was acquired and what was organic, so I was wondering if you could provide that, that uh, amount of color. In the Americas? Yeah. Um, around, around, three, around 3%. Okay. That's good. Um, with respect to Collier's Mortgage, I think one of the opportunities you were targeting was uh, you know, increased share of Fannie Mae business down the road. Uh, can you maybe discuss how that initiative is going? Yeah, I mean, Collier's Mortgage had a, a very strong uh, first quarter. Um, total volumes were up. 
uh, 40%, um, and that includes uh, Fannie Mae volumes. Um, Claire's Mortgage has historically been a very uh, small player in the uh, Fannie Mae space. There's 26 uh, Fannie Mae delegated underwriter servicer uh, partners in, in the U.S., and, and uh, Claire's Mortgage is one of the smaller ones. So it's a tremendous upside uh, for us in terms of being able to um, leverage uh, the scale of the Collier's platform, uh, the multifamily sales professionals that we have uh, in Collier's uh, to uh, cross-sell uh, debt services, and, and we're working on that. We've been successful in a few cases already. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of your original question, uh, increasing our market share, uh, certainly something we're focused on, and I think we're moving the needle uh, already, uh, although it is early days. Uh, on that. Um, I'd also add that we've been uh, successful in, in having uh, some cross-sell with Harrison Street and uh, Harrison Street sourced uh, some debt financing uh, through Collier's Mortgage. Uh, so again, uh, you know, early days on that, but uh, we are uh, pursuing that and, and excited about the possibilities uh, for future growth uh, through that uh, channel as well. Okay, and just for context, you mentioned 40% growth. Um, do you have stats for the industry as a whole or? Is this too broad of a sector to track? I don't have stats at this time. Q1. Okay. Uh, last one for me. I mean, you, uh, you 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 bought a small engineering design business in the south. Um, based on my math and my knowledge of the sector, it feels like it's a uh, five million dollar business uh, annually. I mean, what sort of potential do you see for? Um, Collier's E&D on a go-forward basis. Are we going to see more of those little tuck-ins, or should we think about something larger down the road? Um, I think that there's going to be, it's a mixed bag. There's some very large ones. There's some, you know, they're all over the map. Um, you know, we, we're, we're interested in smaller ones that can really augment our operations or give us additional scale in a market. But, uh, but but Fred, I know you cover the industry. Any any good ideas that you have, uh, you know my phone number. So uh, we we be we we be active and uh, and uh, we would look at it very closely. All right, noted. Thank you, and uh, best of luck to John. Hopefully, um, I mean he's not on the call, but please pass on uh, my best wishes. Our next question comes from Stephen Sheldon with William Blair. Hi, thanks. Uh, first, wanted to pass along my appreciation to John for all his time over the years and well wishes on his retirement. Um, you know, I guess going back over the last four years for adjusted EBITDA and kind of the normal seasonality, you see the first quarter I think is typically represented on average 13% of the full year number. You, know, you go back to last year, I think it was 15%. Uh, first quarter representing the full year 2020 adjusted EBITDA, even when activity fell off drastically over the rest of the year. If I look, even at the high end of your guidance for 30% adjusted EBITDA growth, your first quarter adjusted EBITDA that you just reported would represent almost 20% of the full year estimate. So I guess are there one-time items that may have boosted profit in the quarter or return of some cost you know, that, will, that will have a bigger impact over the remainder of the year? And just generally, I guess, how conservative have you been in the profit guidance? Stephen, um, it's a great question. Uh, there isn't one uh, item uh, that, you know, not, there's no non-recurring or unusual items. The only thing I would tell you is that we have uh, 
two uh, significant acquisitions, Clyde Engineering and Clyde's Mortgage, um, that were not owned in Q1 of last year. Um, so, so that is a, uh, a significant uh, fact. Um, and uh, you know, that those were acquired uh, in June of last year and July of last year. Um, so you guys got to keep that in mind when you look at the seasonality of the business because those, those businesses are um, more recurring in nature. Um, the, you know, the, uh, the engineering business uh, has long-term contracts. Uh, the, uh, the mortgage business has loan servicing activities that are recurring in nature. And of course, um, as we talked about, the, uh, the origination volumes at Clara's Mortgage have been strong. Uh, as well, so uh, you know, those are uh, impacting uh, the results. Got it. So it, as, as those continue to scale, it might influence the normal seasonality that you've seen at least historically. Is that kind of? Yeah, I think so. As you know, as we add businesses like that, the uh, seasonality of this business overall, I think, will diminish because we've got a larger base of recurring revenues and recurring cash flows. Got it. Okay, makes sense. Um, as we think about AUM and investment management heading in the second quarter, you might have said something about this. I missed exactly what you said, but would a lot of the benefit from the record fundraising in the first quarter spill over into the second quarter? And I guess just ask another way, should we be expecting another strong sequential uptick in AUM in the second quarter? Yeah, I think the, the, um, uh, the fundraising activity uh, comes first. And then the the, uh, the fee revenue uh, comes uh, comes second as that capital uh, is deployed uh, into into active and working investments. Um, so we definitely expect a, uh, a strong second quarter in terms of our management fee uh, revenues and in turn our and also our EBITDA uh, in that uh, in that segment uh, based on our success, uh, you know, raising capital and, and increasing the AUM uh, over the past uh, 12 months. Uh, but if, what I would add to that is that uh, the momentum, fundraising momentum, has continued at, at Harrison Street um, uh, uh, post the end of the quarter. Good to hear. Uh, congrats on the results. Thanks. Our next question comes from Rick Skidmore with Goldman Sachs. Thank you. Good morning. Um, just to follow up on the leasing question around office. We've been hearing from office landlords that activities picked up significantly over the last couple of months, specifically in urban markets like New York City. Are you hearing, seeing the same thing? And is that showing up in your leasing pipeline as you go forward? Thanks. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure uh, we're seeing that. Uh, it's interesting data, though, and I'd uh, love to hear it. But um, there is a lot of uncertainty still. Now it's market for market. It's industry for industry. Um, there's people in the marketplace that are looking at opportunities to secure low, uh, low renewals uh, at current rates. There's other people uh, are just sitting on their hands. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to leasing uh, for us in the second quarter, but as you can see in the first quarter, it's still relatively flat, uh, or it's up, it's up, but it's not where it should be, and um, uh, better, but not where it should be. So um, I think with leasing, 
I'm not sure I'm ready to make the prediction that you're hearing from some of the office landlords. Got it. Thanks. That's helpful. Um, one other question circling back on the um, <clears throat> engineering and design business. I believe that you talked about in a prior call that that business could scale from $100 million to something much more meaningful than that. Um, and under the Biden plan, stimulus dollars, infrastructure spending, how are you seeing that uh, business sort of the pipeline build in that business as you look forward? Thanks. So that business today is circa $300 million in revenue on a run rate basis. The pipeline is very strong, and uh, everybody's talking about the in increased allocation to, uh, to infrastructure around the Biden plan. Um, and what they're also talking about, and this is, a, this is uh, impacting acquisitions everywhere, is the capital gains uh, rate changes and that's encouraging um, uh, many to, uh, that, that had discussed things with us historically um, to come back and talk seriously. So we are actually very busy in our M&A area uh, and expect to be so uh, for the balance of the year. Um, and that's coming from virtually all segments of, uh, of our business. It, this is a perfect time for us and for engineering and pro project management, um, the Biden plan is a great, a great um, a benefit, and uh, the capital gains rate changes are encouraging those people and others uh, to uh, really take another look at um, crystallizing a transaction uh, earlier than normal. Great. Thank you for those comments. And then one last question for Christian. You mentioned the $145 million of costs that were reduced in 2020. How much of that do you think could be permanently removed, or does that hundred, entire $145 come back? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, our, our expectation is that we're not going to, be, we're not going to return uh, all those costs to the business. Um, that is something that uh, I think I mentioned before was, was a goal of ours. Um, if we can be successful in, in uh, returning 80% uh, of, of those costs and not returning 20%, more importantly, not returning those 20%, uh, that would be uh, our objective. Thank you. Our next question comes from Daryl Young with TD Securities. Good morning, guys. Um, just two quick questions for me. The first would be, and I'm not sure if you can answer this, but uh, you, you've done a lot of people um, moves in the last uh, um, year and some some high quality hires. Uh, just wondering, are you changing at all the, the strategy for how the the various regions uh, operate? Is there more decentralized going forward with with more um, levels of management, uh, or maybe you can just provide a little bit of color there? Yeah, so decentralization has been a core of ours forever, so the decentralization aspect of your question isn't going to change. Um, we, um, you know, one of the silver linings of, uh, of the pandemic has been the opportunity to uh, top grade some of our key leadership. Unfortunately, we had uh, a great guy pass away uh, from cancer in, the, uh, in Asia. It gave us a great opportunity to merge our Asia-Pacific operations under an incredible leader and, 
and 30-year uh, 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 player with Colliers, a guy by the name of John Kemi. Uh, and uh, we're seeing tremendous uh, enhancements and top grades of people in Asia Pacific. Uh, the same holds true in, uh, in EMEA. Uh, market for market, we've used the opportunity to reevaluate our people and, uh, and elevate some internally in Europe and, uh, and bring in um, other proven leaders to, uh, to help drive our business to the next level. And uh, so I would say that top grading leadership is a current and ongoing um, uh, um, role and responsibility that we have, but COVID created uh, an, an accelerated opportunity to top grade people were really reevaluating their life. They were reevaluating their current employer. They wanted to come to an organization that was entrepreneurial and enterprising and, and less bureaucratic and probably most importantly, as you started with, decentralized. So great leaders could make decisions on the front line every day. And uh, that's been the core of the Collier's way in building our business. So um, we think that we're, we're coming out of this pandemic uh, uh, stronger than ever in terms of our leadership teams and uh, excited about, uh, about the next round of growth and getting back to normal. Excellent. And in the past, I think uh, on the broker side specifically, you've mentioned there can be a bit of a lag from the time that you bring over a um, top talent till when it, um, uh, trans it um, turns into transactions. Um, would, would we expect sort of a similar in this environment or has, would that have changed where it would be maybe more rapid? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, typically, typically, it's mostly a North America phenomenon, a little bit in EMEA, but typically when you bring over a producer, it does, there is a lag of having them uh, having them uh, generate uh, revenue streams. Uh, they would have come from an environment where there was a lag already, given the pandemic. We've, took, we've taken that as an opportunity to restructure our recruiting deals to smooth it out over a longer period of time. But yes, I mean, whenever you're bringing in uh, proven performers, there is a drag, uh, which is, uh, you know, an expense to our current uh, our current uh, results, but uh, an expense that we think uh, warrants the high return we get on uh, bringing in some of these great people. Got it. Uh, great results. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Daryl. Our next question comes from Matt Logan with RBC. Thank you, and good morning. Christian, the midpoint of your 2021 guidance calls for revenue growth of about 23%. Can you talk a little bit about the split between the organic and the acquisition components? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, in, in, in rough terms, uh, one-third to one-quarter uh, will be uh, acquired, and then the balance uh, will be uh, organic growth uh, when, you, when you look at it at the midpoint. And if we bifurcate that a little bit further, how should we think about the organic growth between recurring services and the brokerage businesses? Yeah, I mean, the brokerage services, obviously, are going to have higher rates of, uh, of growth as they recover. 
uh, from last year. Um, and the, uh, the recurring services are, are, you know, I would expect, uh, you know, low to mid single digits from those on a full year basis. And when we kind of look at your, nope. When we look at your leading indicators such as confidentiality agreements, letters of intent, like would you say those leading indicators are up relative to Q4 or holding more or less steady? Are you talking about acquisition pipeline? Uh, for brokerage. Brokerage. I don't think we track NDAs in our brokerage operations centrally. Obviously, they're in place on every transaction, but I don't think we uh, I don't think we track uh, we've ever tracked that. No, not like that. I mean, certainly our our, our pipelines uh, we have some visibility to in the in the short term, and and uh, that uh, is factored in to our uh, forecast and outlook. Uh, for the year, um, at the same time, you know, at the further out you go uh, to look, looking at the transactional pipeline, the less certainty there is, and there's still a great degree of uncertainty out there in various parts of the world. Uh, so, you know, that's what leads to uh, this relatively broad range of, uh, of revenue expectations that we have uh, in the outlook that we published this morning. Understood, but suffice it to say, the the pipeline that you have remains more or less unchanged since uh, Q4. No, I think it's 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 more powerful today than it was at the end of Q4, um, which which is natural given that we hope, uh, especially in markets like the U.S. and uh, some of the others, that we are coming back to more of a uh, you know business environment that's conducive to more capital markets and more leasing transactions. So our pipelines are much better, actually. Appreciate that. And maybe just changing gears, you had talked about the growth in the run rate revenues for your engineering and design business. How would that uh, compare for your mortgage business relative to when you acquired it? The mortgage business has had significant growth since we acquired it. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, benefited from, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 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 cross-selling uh, to our colliers, uh, multifamily uh, sales professionals, uh, to, to, to Harrison Street uh, in, in the funds where they need uh, debt financing on assets. Um, so those things have, have helped. Um, the, the economic environment has helped as well um, in the last uh, quarter of 2020, uh, Colliers Mortgage had record activity levels because of the refinancing activity that was occurring because of low interest rates. So, uh, you know, the run rate revenue activity in mortgage uh, has increased uh, materially uh, since we bought that business uh, on June 1st uh, of 2020. Okay, well, I appreciate the commentary. I'll turn it back. Thank you. And I'm not showing any further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the call back over to Jay Hennick for any closing remarks. Thank you, operator, and thanks, everyone, for participating in today's call. And we look forward to uh, having a, uh, a uh, positive result in the second quarter uh, as well. Thank you for participating. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the conference call. Thank you for your participation, and have a nice day.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.